I'm going to start um, today by reading from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, so feel free to jump there if you want. Happy Father's Day to fathers. It's, it's really great doing another year with you. I'm on the same journey as you guys. So uh, this is a kind of a little bit um, of a take home for you and everyone else. I haven't made it just for you because I lose half the audience. Uh, half of you, you know, you make it about men, you lose the women. Make it about women, you lose the men. So it's about all of us. Uh, there's principles there that we can all take home and we can apply to fathering, to mothering, to parenting, to uh, just helping other people in life and that. So it's not, it's designed to help us all. So Hebrews 12 says, Be patient when you are being corrected. This is how God treats his children. Don't all parents correct their children? God corrects all of his children. And if he doesn't correct you, then you don't really belong to him. Our earthly fathers correct us and we still respect them. Isn't it even better to be given true life by letting our spiritual father correct us? Our human fathers correct us for a short time and they do as they think best. But God corrects us for our own good because he wants us to be holy as he is. It's never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it's always painful. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and we will live at peace. Isn't that cool? I love the last part. This, this is real, you know, this is not pie in the sky. This is just someone who goes through pain writing this. Uh, you, know, it, you know, he says it's never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it's always painful. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. I'm speaking today. My topic is what? It's called what? So it is what? So I was uh, at uh, Trev and Viv's last night, and Trev said, what are you talking about tomorrow? And I said, what? He said, what are you speaking on tomorrow? What? Everyone laughed because they thought I was being avoid of, of divisive, uh, avoiding, avo- uh, whatever. Evasive, that's the word, evasive. Yeah. And I said, it's what? And and you'll kind of get the drift as we go through. I'll pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your Bible. Thank you for your principles. Thank you, God, that you've designed a book that teaches us how to live and how to live well. And we just, I just pray that as I speak, that you will speak and that uh, you will um, uh, bring through lessons. Teach us more about you and help us to uh, do better in our journey and our relationship with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have any of you guys ever noticed that life is actually, I have realised, a series of corrections, overcorrections, and other kind of modifications to make things turn out the way we want them to turn out? You know, I've said before, I think I said earlier in the year during COVID, if I recall correctly, uh, you know, a ship 
when it's on navigation, you know, they'll, they'll plot a course. So, so a ship's uh, captain or whoever's uh, navigations officer or whatever will go to the nav, um, nav, uh, navigation computer and he'll say, we're in Wellington at the moment. We want to go to Tauranga. And the ship's navigation knows where both are and it will plot a course and it knows where there's boulders and it knows where there's islands and it knows where, hopefully, where there's other ships. Uh, I'm not sure what they do about that. I guess they steer, I don't know. Maybe it... I've got no idea. Uh, but, but it plots the course. But when the ship is in rough seas... It can't stay exactly online. You know, an aeroplane, when it's flying from, uh, from Auckland to Brisbane, for example, doesn't stay exactly on, in line. What they do with the computers is they actually set parameters for the, for the course. And so they, they don't say a straight line. They actually set outer limits on either side. Do you know what they're called? Machines have them... Um, Cars have them, all kinds. They're called parameters uh, or tolerance. It's called tolerance, that gap between the left and the right, where it's safe to be. And then when it hits the outer edge, the, the tolerance runs out and it starts bringing the boat or the ship or whatever back over the side. How many do sewing? How many are sewers here? How many know that when you're sewing... You don't always stay exactly on the line. Yet sometimes, oh, you could sew as well. Um, but I know when I sew, which is not very often, but I used to. I sewed a dolphin for myself once, you know, at school, and I, and I tried to make a a pink panther. It didn't turn out so well. Uh, but when I was sewing, I found that the sewing was constantly, you know, you go, you girls go, in a straight line, it's done. But me, it's more like. You know, like I'm learning to ride a trike. And, and you can still get a reasonably straight line, providing you adjust as you go and don't let yourself get too far out of the lines. What I've realised is life is like this. We're constantly making adjustments in situations. It may be your finances. I had, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, our mortgage went out and the next day, and I didn't check the bank account, and next the next day I, I looked up our check account and it was about $40 overdrawn because we had used some money and hadn't thought about the fact the mortgage was coming out. So I just transferred some money from another account in to cover the overdraft. But it's all life is full of making adjustments and compensations and that. Uh, and I've realised that growth and learning actually comes from those adjustments. Some years ago, we went to Thailand on a missions trip, and uh, I think it was the second to last day. I was um, uptown uh, by myself, and and I was uh, wandering around, and it got. I think it got to about seven o'clock or eight o'clock, and I started to get hungry, and I thought I'd better go back and have some dinner and see see that everyone's okay. And so I jumped in uh, over there. They have utes, and you just jump in a ute, pay them some money, and they take you to another point like a bus but it's the back of a ute and so I, I thought I know where I'm going so I, I jumped in this ute paid the money and when it got to the destination I wasn't where I thought I should be and I thought hmm okay I don't know if you've noticed but Bangkok's about 20 million people it's quite a big place 
I thought, okay, I'll jump in another one and go backwards. So I think I jumped on the other side of the road thinking one went one way and one went the other. But you've got to remember in big cities, sometimes they have one-way streets and things get skewed and whatnot. So I jump in this ute and then go to a destination and then it's, I'm even more lost. I've got no idea where I am. So then I think, oh, okay, this and, – and my phone, to make it harder – I was having trouble with my SIM card and my phone, so I couldn't call anyone. And I couldn't, I couldn't actually connect to the internet. I'd been having problems for almost a month with my phone, and it just seemed to be dogging me. And so I couldn't text, I couldn't ring. I, I, I don't, I might, oh no, I did have the address um, for the, uh, where we were staying. But in the end, I thought, I'll jump on the back of a motorcycle taxi guy and I'll get him to take me. Well, he, I ended up like out, um, where would it be? It'd, be? it'd be like being in Wellington from here, that far away from where I was meant to be. Uh, and then I jumped on and, and he basically just left me on the side. And then, I'm, and then I'm thinking, this isn't so good. So then, uh, and I'm starting to think, well, we don't fly out to tomorrow afternoon, so I've got all night to get to figure out how to get back to our hotel. But it's not looking good at this point. So I jump on the back of another uh, motorcycle, and I'm showing him my phone to sh- try and show him this is the address I'm trying to go to, and it's in a complete different province, and he's got no idea. It's just no idea what I'm trying to tell him or and I'm showing him the place, it's all in Thai but he just doesn't understand where it is or anything and so I think he understands and so he sets, we set off on this journey, buzzing along at horrendous speed, no helmet I'm in shorts, a t-shirt I'm thinking this is nuts because I don't know if you've been to Thailand watch some YouTube clips it's crazy, the speed they drive at and the way they weave between vehicles. I, um, I was thinking, I would never do this in New Zealand, but I'm lost. I'm going to go for it. <coughs> we, just, we just got to the coast and I thought, oh, well, I know we're near water. And then I think we just ended up sort of in a place that I thought this actually looks a little bit familiar. So he stopped and I got off and I found enough landmarks that I managed, I basically managed to get back to where I had actually started out from in town. And then I, and then I just walked all the way back. I didn't try and take a taxi or anything. Uh, and I got home and Gina and Nat were like, hi, honey, how's it been? You know, didn't even know I was lost. They didn't send out search parties. Um, didn't, you know, didn't, didn't ring anyone, didn't care about me, you know, I just got home. I've been getting counselling ever since, you know, three times a week, but it doesn't do much good. Uh, But what I've realised through that is when I go to Thailand next time, I'm going to make sure I get my phone working properly. Step one, get your SIM and and make sure it's actually, because I'd bought a SIM and our translator, uh, who was an amazing guy, had spent some time because I said, I just can't get it to do, like, it just doesn't seem to be working. And he'd check and he'd say, yeah, it's going. And and I'd get it back and I couldn't get it to go. And that's, so next time I go, I'm going to make sure it works. And next time I go, I'm going to make sure I have a decent map with me. So if I do get lost, 
I actually can find my way back and actually show them not only the address, but a map that shows the province of where I'm trying to get. So they can actually look at it and go, oh yeah, that's over there. We're, you're miles away, uh, but, but I'll get you back. Um, you know, so learning through difficulties, uh, you know, is a tremendously valuable thing to us. And this is what the scripture is all about. Hebrews 12, be patient when you are being corrected. You know, God's, in, in other uh, translations, it says, uh, you know, sometimes it says uh, to be patient when, when God's um, disciplining. We don't really like the word disciplining. And, I, and reading this scripture, I don't know that it's our understanding of discipline is really what it's meaning because it is meaning correction. It's about long-term correction. And it's not because we're bad or we've, or God doesn't like us, it's because He loves us and He takes the time to point this out, the fact that you are loved, He's your Father, that's why He's doing it. If He, was, if he wasn't doing it, it would be because He didn't love you because you're not His kids. But what He's saying is He corrects because He has a great plan for us and He knows what I've just highlighted, that growth comes out of correction and discipline. You know, if you want to be a great runner, we have to learn to go out and just run. Have you found that, Bruce? Best way to learn to run is by running. I hated it. You know, I hated learning to run. When I wanted to join the police and I had to run, I'd never, I'd never ever had to just run. I didn't like running. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm good over short, short distances. You know, I'm good at soccer or, you know, I, was, I enjoy soccer running around chasing the, the ball everywhere, you know. Um, but I didn't like just going out and running aimlessly. And I just take my hat off to people who are runners because it just takes such discipline of the mind, especially who run people who run marathons and stuff like that. When I was a, a uh, teenager, I was into swimming and mum sent us to the swimming club and I'd turn up. And they'd just put you in the pool and they'd say, yep, swim, swim lengths. So I'd swim lengths. One length, one length, one length, one length. Stop at the end to see what the instructor tells me how to swim better. Yeah, you're doing fine. Just keep going. You know, swim, 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 swim. It never came to an end. Hello, my darling. <laughs> Darlings. These are my daughters. Stand up, girls. Oh. Oh, wow. You make me cry. <laughs> but I'm back in the sermon. Swimming. Otherwise, I will get teary. Swimming. So what I realized, I mean, I just didn't enjoy it because I didn't, I didn't understand what the instructor was doing. But what they were getting me to do was swim. How do you learn to swim? By swimming. How, and then they just start guiding you. You know, as you're swimming along, your kick's a bit funny. Why don't you try doing this? Or maybe they give you a flutterboard and say, just hold that out and just work on just your, your kick and that. And then they make little adjustments. But it's really, you really only learn by, by doing it. And it's the same with life. It's the same with everything we go through. If we just hang in there and just stay loyal to what uh, to God, our coach. He's our coach, isn't he? He's our great dad, but he's also, I realise he's so much more than that. He's our coach. He's our running buddy. He's our running partner. You know, he gets in and he tells us how to do it better. 
He tells us how, how we can adjust things and how to, how to make tweaks and how to sort out attitudes that don't work. And that if we are just receptive and just get the big picture of what he's trying to do and just stay close to him. You know, I was at uh, Ernie, where are you, Ernie? I was at Ernie's house the other day. Ernie's just built a new house. He's just finishing it. And I walked in and I saw the concrete, beautiful concrete. I went home to Gina. He's, he's got, they've got a real nice piece of um, uh, polished concrete. And it's got this, uh, I don't know if it's polish or a lacquer or what you do to it, but it's got some kind of coat on it that makes it shiny. And I went home to Gina and said, it's so deep to look into, you feel like you can dive into it. But you know, it didn't start out like that. It's been ground to that. And they, they put a grinder on top of it. And, they, and I think if I understand correctly, well, I'm assuming it's the same process as woodwork and stuff like that. But I think they put uh, three teeth that go around in circles. And I think at the start, they put quite coarse, um, um, diamondy rubbery, spinny, roundy things on it. And they spin around like a buffing machine, like a polisher for, for lino, for anyone that's seen that. And then as it gets a little bit more worn down and smooth, then they, they change the grade of what they're doing and they actually make it a more fine one. Same with Trev when he's working with woodwork. When he's got rough wood, he uses rougher sandpaper and if he's wanting it to get nice and smooth, you know, like if you've seen Trev's stuff, you'll know what I'm talking about. But as it gets finer and, and uh, more smooth than that, he changes the grade of the sandpaper so it's more fine and so it brings out more of a polish and, and doesn't scratch the wood in that. Sometimes God has to do that with us. The rougher condition we are, uh, I'm going to talk about my experience. You might be different. He might not might not need to give you big lessons like he's given me, but I was quite rough. I was a, a bit of a rough diamond when I first got saved. And so God took me through some major lessons and it was quite, at times it was quite painful. There were painful lessons. Uh, but as I've gone on, I've noticed that he doesn't seem to uh, instruct me and teach me and journey with me in the same way. It seems to be a a lot more sort of gentle generally. I mean, life's full of surprises, so I'm not saying, you know, I'm going to claim that that's the rest of my life is no more pain, but unfortunately I know life has pain. Uh, but, you know, I think as I get to know him, as I learn to listen to his voice, and as I get to journey in him, I think I run into him a whole lot earlier than I probably ran into him earlier, and it saves me from the pain, because I've actually started to learn some stuff. See, his instruction and uh, the corrections and that, I've learnt that he's a good hiding place. You run into God with your pain and he actually can do something about it. Or we can run away from him and we expose ourselves. Our choice, our pain. But there's no safer place I've found than in the eye of the storm with him. If you want the storm to stop, run to him. He will, as I always say, we will always go through stuff. It's not a silver bullet. Knowing God does not mean he takes away pain. We won't have terrible things that we go through. We will. The Bible's clear. Jesus makes it very clear. It's not, you know, he doesn't make a magic wand, but he is with us through everything. He's in the boat with us, traveling through those dark situations. 
I've realized that the enemy wants to do some stuff in our lives. The enemy. He wants to distract us from God's plans. He wants to distort our thinking of God and us. He'll, he'll attack us and he will attack our image of God. And that's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve, wasn't it? You know, they suddenly realized they were naked and they had to hide from God because their thinking became distorted. They suddenly felt, you know, they'd been naked before and walked in the garden with God, but suddenly something had changed and they had to hide. And as uh, I heard one writer say, mankind's been hiding ever since. Something changed in our relationship with him and it, and it distorts the way we think and see ourselves in relation to God and he wants to rescue that. And he wants to disqualify us from the race. Oh, good. Thanks, Joel. You're amazing. He wants to disqualify us from our race. But God wants to direct our footsteps. And I've tossed some scriptures up there that you can have a look at. Just note them down. Uh, just ones that came to my mind that kind of link up with it. He wants to direct our footsteps. He wants to keep us on the path and bring us back to the path and get us through situations. He wants to, to develop a closer relationship by removing barriers that keep us from him. So he's always looking to take things that get in between him and us, take them out. But sometimes here's the pain. Sometimes we hang on to them because we actually enjoy them. Or sometimes we're scared as to what it will look like if we let them go. Sometimes there's insecurity involved. And sometimes God has to prize them out of our little hands at times. And that can be painful. But it's for our good. And he wants to draw us into him and along with him. So he wants to bring us closer and take us forward. And his ultimate goal is to deliver us to the finish line. So this scripture that I started with from Romans, that, uh, sorry, Hebrews, this is how it starts. You know, we have all these great crowd of people around us as examples. Their lives tell us what faith means. So we too should run the race that is before us and never quit. We should remove from our lives anything that would slow us down and the sin that so often makes us fall. We must never stop looking to Jesus. He is the leader of our faith and the one who makes our faith complete. He suffered death on the cross, but he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing because of the joy he could see waiting for him. And now he is sitting at the right hand of, the, of God's throne. Think about Jesus. He patiently endured the angry insults that sin people, sinful people were shouting at him. Think about him so that you won't get discouraged and stop trying. So it's all about a race. It starts off about a race. And then it gets into the corrective side of God. The fact that God is in the race correcting things in our journey running for the finish line. It's cool, eh? It's a great piece of scripture. Phenomenal. But it can't happen unless God's involved in the process. I just want to read out a couple of um, 
scriptures. Psalms 34 verse 11 says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, when it uses the word fear like that, what it means is to honour and respect God and give him his true place. So it doesn't mean I'm going to teach you to fear God or we better go, we better go stand in the corner and start shivering and that because we're freaking out. It doesn't mean that. It means just honour God. You know, come, um, come my children, listen to me. I will teach you to honour God, you could say. You know, honour God, fear of the God. Fear of God. And it's crucial that we learn to respect God in our lives and give Him first place. When we honour God, He honours us. And I've noticed that um, I think God honours people even that don't have a relationship with Him, but they live in ways that honour God by their behaviour. They're kind to other people. They are generous to the poor. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to get salvation because they're not righteous. You see, you only have righteousness when you have Jesus because he makes it all right. So, so they still won't have salvation. What they've got is good works, but God still honours their conduct and has a plan for them to bring them into his life. So that's exciting, isn't it? Psalm 103 verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But we really know that means honour him, don't we? So God's passionate to those who honour him and respect him. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 26 says, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. So there's a promise for our children as well. If you're a parent or if you're a person who's not a parent but you're kind of a parent like, you know, like we all have young people that we consider are like kids to us, you know. I think we could probably claim that promise on their behalf if they don't have, you know, parents who are believers in that as well. So my challenge is give yourself fully to God. There's no safer place on planet Earth than giving yourself fully to God. Give Him your life. I was speaking to a um, young person some weeks ago, and they said, um, they said, I always thought about work, but I, I never necessarily thought about what God wanted me to do as part of that work or what he wanted to do, me to do with my life. So there's a good place to start, isn't it? Why don't we ask God what he wants us to do with our life? Because I don't think he just, his plan is that we, he just create us and then we're just a whole bunch of random events kind of through the rest of our life. I think he actually has a plan. Now within that plan, I think there's lots of freedom as well. I don't think, he hasn't made us robots. He doesn't tell us we're going to have cornflakes for breakfast every day or and on Wednesday you can have Cocoa Pops because they're the best with cream by far. Wheat Bix with cream is second. Close. 
but not as good as Cocoa Pops with cream, I have found. But he's not like that, is he? I think God has ultimate plans for us. And then Mel goes out to buy, say, a new car next week, and, and he leaves it to her. She, what kind of car would you pick if you could have anything you wanted, Mel? A Truno. I don't even know what one of those is. Uh, sorry, I'm not very mechanical or very good. I'm a disappointment to Gina's dad, who's a car nut, but I don't even know what a Truno is. I'm sorry. What, what colour would you get? A white Truno. Guess what? God's not going to stand in her way. He's not going to say, no, I don't like Trunos. You can have a Skoda, a pink Skoda, or I'll be kind, a yellow Skoda. I don't know why it's yellow, but, but God's not like that. He gives us a whole, you want a, you want a three-bedroom house, a four-bedroom house? God doesn't care. I, don't, I really don't think he cares. I think sometimes God will assist you to get that stuff, and I'm not talking about materialism. Don't confuse that. I'm not talking about you can have whatever you want. I, I'm not into the whole, you know, name it, um, claim it and name it and claim it or whatever it is, or, you know, prosperity doctrine. I don't like that. Um, but I think God gives us enough and there's nothing wrong with us doing well in life. So I think if we give ourselves to God, there's lots of freedom in it. But ultimately, we come back to him. He is all that matters. He is all that we need. And he is all that it is about. When I boil my life down, you know, I want God in my life. I want a good relationship with my kids and my wife and my family and my friends. And to be honest, I don't really care about the rest. I don't care about having a flash car. I don't care about having a, a big house. We've, we've done the flash house. It means nothing. It can't make you happy. Now, if you've got a nice house, please don't, I'm not saying sell it. You enjoy it. It's, it's, you know, I'm, don't get that wrong. I'm just saying if that's where you place your happiness, you won't get it from it. Um, our, our joy comes from the Lord. Our, you know, and our relationships with each other and that, but our, our number one is God. James chapter one, verse five, and I'll finish with this scripture band can come, thanks. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It will be given to you. If you ask God for stuff, wisdom, to, you know, to do better in him and life and that, he's, he's got your back. He's there for you. He is all, all, you know, totally for you in that respect. I'm going to pray. If you, you know, maybe something that I've said stirs something up and maybe you need some prayer in an area, feel free to talk to one of the elders or ourselves. We'd love to pray for you. Um, you know, if, if you feel like you want to learn more about this or have more success in this area, there are truckloads of books about, you know, um, that you can get from the bookshop and that or come and see us and, and we'll help you. But most books have wisdom in them, most, most decent books, pearls, little pearls tucked away that you can learn from.
I'll pray and hand back to the band. Father, I thank you, God, that wisdom comes from you. True wisdom comes from you. And I just pray for us all that uh, you'd give us great wisdom. And I pray that that wisdom would give us the discipline to uh, journey with you through situations that are difficult and situations where you want to stretch us because you actually want us to be better and you want us to be able to have uh, a greater capacity so we can do more for you. Father, I just pray that you bless every person here, bless every dad. I just pray every single person here that they would have a strong sense of how precious they are to you. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you just touch anyone who uh, has to journey along with poor self-esteem or, or the belief that they're not good enough or, uh, or compares themselves to others. I just pray that you'll bring correction in their mind right now in Jesus' name in that area and just give them a, uh, the ability to be happy in their own skin, whatever that looks like. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.